0: Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. So welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. This is a very interesting episode. We're on episode 29. An interview with Mark Smith, PhD, the director of HR Thought Leadership, for the Society of Human Resource Management huge organization with hundreds of thousands of members so really high impact high influence positioning of an organized role of strategic thought leadership within an organization so this should be quite fascinating for how such a, a large impactful organization sees the role of harnessing thought leadership to impact an entire profession. But before we dive into the interview, and I think you'll find it very fascinating, we're getting to some interesting side streets about things like virtual reality learning for accelerated learning. And like the role of creativity with remote work and how to pull it together. But before we get into that, just to remind you of what Thought Leadership Studio is about. You can consider this podcast, your ongoing workshop in positive mass influence. And we draw from my research and the program I involved called The Thought Process of Strategic Thought Leadership which draws some neurolinguistic programming from systems thinking, from game theory, from mythic archetypes. But that's not all the podcast is. in this podcast I aim to help you access your creative inspiration and harness it to design strategic thought leadership that helps you empower your audience or your prospects, your customers, or your followers, with high level influence in learning. So I want you to have both the fast experience of success with simple ideas that you can immediately put into practice, but also for the highly motivated, give you access to resources for more advanced strategic thought leadership. So let's jump right into the interview with Mark Smith. Thought
1: Leadership Studio. So I'm Chris McNeil, host of Thought Leadership
0: Studio. And I'm sitting here with Dr. Mark Smith, who's di- the Director of HR Thought Leadership for SHRM, otherwise known as SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. And Dr. Smith is a respected practitioner of IO psychology with over 20 years of experience in HR research and consulting. His primary areas of expertise involve strategic research approaches, test development, validation, individual assessment, and management development. And throughout his career, he's worked with all levels of employees. He joined SHRM in 2018 after spending most of his career in consulting roles. Now, SHRM, he spent three years as director of exam development for certification. But special interest to you, the listener, might be that he more recently became the director of HR Thought leadership, which is a very interesting title. So, welcome, Mark.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, okay. Looking forward to our conversation.
0: So, tell us what this means to be the director of HR thought leadership.
1: Yeah. So, when I was, you know, Got this role was put into this role a year, a little more than a year ago. That that was really my first question. I'm like, it sounds like an interesting title. I really don't know what what this involves. And so the first thing I did is I went to Google and and you know asked the Google machine, okay, what is thought leadership? And and came with, oh, okay, well that that sounds interesting. Um, you know this this is something I maybe I like to do. Um, uh, and and at Sherm. Uh, the the thought leadership role that I have is located uh, on a research team, and so in the in the uh, the Sherm Research Institute. Uh, so so that it's located in a little different area than thought leadership is in some other organizations.
0: Interesting. And what does it mean to be a successful thought leader?
1: Right. And, and, and so here, in the way that you asked that question is, is interesting. I, I think of myself as, as the, the director of thought leadership. Um, whether I am a thought leader myself, it sort of eh, kind of comes and goes with, with the day. So I'm, not, I'm never even, even sure about that. I, I do think that I'm uh, at least starting to do some uh, effective uh, thought leadership. And so at Sherm. As I said, thought leadership is located on the research team, and so we'll always have a research component to it. Uh, usually it's going to be some, some large-scale surveys, uh, but, but there may be some, some other pieces to it as well. So, so we're gathering some objective uh, information, some types of data, maybe, maybe adding to it some financial information or other, other economic uh, pieces of data. And then reporting on it but it can't stop with oh i did an interesting piece of research and i documented it and then i moved on to the next thing sure that that may be useful in some circumstances but that's not really thought leadership the the thought leadership comes on the tail end of that and and it's okay so what why why should i care about it and more importantly what should i do about it and you know what so usually with with sherm we're talking to or about HR professionals. And so therefore, as a result of the research project that I did, what should the HR professional take away? What should the HR professional do as a result? And, and we really need to be clear and, and have that piece on the end of our research. Otherwise, it's, it's just not that useful.
0: So putting on my hat as listener advocate to regurgitate a little bit of that and make sure we're understanding. Um, being in thought leadership, and oh, by the way, I, I like how you said, I'm not sure if I'm always a thought leader. I think we always all wonder that, because okay. isn't it better to focus on the act of thought leadership rather than the label of being a thought leader anyways? You know, are, are we having an impact? Right. Uh, what I'm understanding is that at Sherm, you're on the cutting edge of learning about human resources, of uh, doing studies that can have a positive impact on everybody in human resources and really through them, all of us who are employees. And then not only discovering something helpful, and my understanding is when you do research, sometimes you learn something surprising. Otherwise, why do research? We already know it all otherwise. And that can be empowering and it can make a positive difference. So then you have to change minds. And then you're dealing with entrenched belief systems sometimes right, that aren't up to speed with what we've now learned. How, how do you change minds in that case? What, what tools do you use? What strategies? What view of a system or a program or a method of actually having an impact on your audience?
1: Yeah, well, as I, as I say, for, for us, it's going to start with, with the research and you know, when you go into the research, as you said, you don't know what you're going to find. And so um, I know for me, when we talk about lining up projects, you know, months in advance before we actually complete them and our marketers really want to know, okay, well, well, what are you going to say? And it's, (laughs) well, hold on there. We we don't know what we're going to find. First we find and then we determine, you know, what's the best way um, to use it. So, then that also lines up with with my background so as a as an organizational psychologist you know trained in in research that that's really where i'm most comfortable starting and um we can we can go back as an example to some some research that i did uh earlier in the year on remote work and uh, that's an interesting place for me to start because I recognize this is a big issue. And of course, it's a big issue. Whenever you turn on the news or or talk to people, invariably, you're going to talk to some extent about where somebody's working. Yeah. I've always liked working in the office. And, you know, if you ask me where I prefer to be, well, as long as the commute's short enough and I have a reasonable office, you know, in my work location, I would rather get in the car and travel 20 minutes or whatever. Uh, and and be in my office away from home, but that's not the case with a lot of people. And and we did some research earlier this year that uh, we were we we used a fairly advanced research technique to to compare kind of job profiles. And and if you have one job that's uh, an in office job with a thirty minute commute, and you have another job that's a fully remote job, and you you ask questions to, to people about, about what is comparable, what would you prefer? Most people will prefer that that remote job. In fact, if you're going to adjust salaries to, to get some balance into oh, about the same number of people are interested in the remote versus the in-person job, you're gonna have to pay the in-person uh, role 20% higher. Um, and so for our, our research, the, the average salary was 60000 in our in our big 1,500-person sample, uh, so that equated to over $12,000 in difference in salary that you'd have to pay to get as many people interested in the in-person job versus that remote job. But again, that 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 wouldn't be my preference. I would I would look at them about equally with a 30-minute commute. If it's a 15-minute commute, I think I'd just rather be in the office. But that's just me. Sure. That's not everybody.
0: Sure. And maybe it depends if you live somewhere that's got this horrible traffic. Uh, exactly. it's, it's interesting to me, um, and working with some HR people on the consulting and coaching I do in thought leadership, the, the issue's coming up. And where it's coming up is, butting heads against some old belief systems having to do with the trust of leaders for that right. people. And if we let people work at home, they're just going to you know, hang out and watch TV and eat Doritos and reach over and tap the space bar on their computer every 20 minutes to right. like the recording activity, which is not really perhaps the most empowering belief in general. And you're bringing up data that makes a financial case. Right. You know, that should persuade any leader unless they have such an entrenched belief system that they're holding on to that, you know, makes them fearful of, of letting go to that level. How do you how do you. How do you make the case in those well, situations?
1: Well, right. So so this, this actually goes back to um, something else that I, I did a bit of research on and in. in Wrote an article on which, which I refer to as the suckers versus the slackers. So the the remote workers look at the in-office workers and and people who are sort of forced to travel every day, you know, commute back in the office. They're suckers. They're they're wasting their time. I don't know why they're doing it. These suckers are taken advantage of by their company. On the other hand, the people who who work um, in the office, including most leaders. Look at the remote workers as the slackers. Um, you know, they're they're waking up late. They are just roll out of bed. They're probably not even brushing their hair, and uh, and then they're they're working, and they're they're just not working that hard. And so, so uh, again, I I have some data to support this. But but really, this notion of the uh, the remote workers look at the in-office workers as suckers, and the in-office workers look at the remote workers as slackers.
0: Yeah. In this case, it seems like they're both partially wrong. but <laughs> maybe both partially right. And that's a, that's right. a belief system, you know? Your- oh, yeah, it
1: really is. Right. Right.
0: And uh, that's what we tend to, you know, run up against when we're practicing thought leadership is how, how to change these things. Now, and of course, having clear data. So what have you discovered about the suckers and the slackers? Is it are they really slackers? what how do people really perform when they're when they're working remotely? Are they just as motivated or more motivated or less? What's their productivity like?
1: well well one pe- people just like working at home and so so they're they're definitely more engaged and so that is something that that we've found but also other research researchers have found um, generally when you're looking at, at productivity you'll find that that at-home workers are at least as productive as, as the in-office workers. And I think largely that comes from, they are, and probably because they can, but they are spending more time uh, working. Uh, they don't have that commute. They don't have that time to get ready. Um, so so you know, depending on where you are, you, by working remotely, you might have bought yourself like, two more hours in a day, which is, which is a huge amount of time. Yeah. And, and some of that, these employees are, are, spent, are spending working more hours from home. So, so that, I, I think that's generally what we find. But of course, that doesn't mean that every individual is going to be you know, a good worker from home. Some may be slacking off. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it seems like the ones that would slack off would probably find a way to slack off yeah exactly person, to some degree as well exactly. that's a separate issue so maybe that's the slack off syndrome is independent of location to some degree it's just gonna make it just a little bit easier to get away with for right. a little while and i wonder how much it depends on the job mean, like, you know, somebody's driving to work and all they do is log in the computer and deal with people in other locations on their computers, it seems to make exactly zero sense. But of course there's jobs where there's collaboration on evolving ideas and product development and evolving service ideas uh, as a team. Right. What do, you, what do you think about those situations?
1: You know, I've been able to to look at that to some extent as well. And and so this was some data from earlier this year. And and we asked a number of questions of of non-HR folks, just just U.S. workers. Uh, some of them were working from home, and some of them were working in the office, and, and asking questions about relationships with their coworkers and and understanding of the organization culture. And generally, the results are the same for working from home and working in the office. And I would have expected that, you know, again, the relationships with the coworkers, um, the the relationship with your supervisor, the understanding of the the organization's culture. I would have thought that that would have been better for in the office workers, but that's not what we found. For, for some people, I think there's still a bit of a, a newness of uh, working remotely, and no matter what question I asked them, I think they were going to respond positively. Um, so, so we'll have to see how this all settles down. I mean, you, you have to imagine that if you're in the office and you see people casually getting coffee or whatever, and you're just you know, having, having small talk, that, that will help develop some relationships. Whether those relationships are important or not is, is probably a different question, but being in the office it, it, around other people, it just seems like you're naturally going to have more relationships, even if they're not deep relationships. It, it, you, you'll almost undoubtedly have more people that you know. Well,
0: that brings up a couple of positions, uh, a couple of ways of looking at it. And one thing that comes to mind for me is I was surprised a bit to see some research and I, I can't point to it, but I'm going to try to find a link to it to put it in the, in the blog post that accompanies this podcast, uh, that creativity happens better when people have creative ideas on their own, but then bring them to evolve to a team as opposed to generate them in a team brainstorming atmosphere. Right. Kind of flies in the face of a lot of brainstorming meetings that I've been a part of and seen in past roles in my life. And uh, so.
1: Yeah, forced creativity doesn't work uh, very well, I've always found. Like, you, know, the way it's spontaneity. you, you, you run across the, the interesting idea when you're when you're not expecting it and all of a sudden it, it sort of pops into your head. And uh, that, that's what I've always found about, about, you know, team brainstorming. Yeah, you'll get a bunch of ideas written down, but that's probably not, not anything really creative.
0: Yeah, it seems like the, the team might be better suited to troubleshoot and evolve ideas as opposed to come up with the creative side. I think so. Which brings up maybe to possibly, if it's useful to have everybody in one room for that, the hybrid work. For these situations where i don't know many roles where that's going to happen every single day right well
1: and and then you know that gets into something else where i've been investigating i i as the head of thought leadership here i get asked about the future of work and sure you know uh, that that's a pretty amorphous kind of thing And, and and there are lots of you know futurists and and other folks really speculating about what this means, and so I started dabbling into okay, what what might a metaworld, you know, kind of virtual reality look like? And I've been talking to to some people who who run their companies, uh, you know, in this virtual world, and you know, they're really making the case that uh, it can get closer to that in-person type of interaction. And, and it may be useful for the things like, you know, the group discussions and, and you know, uh, coming up with the ideas that, that you really, it feels like you need to be in person to do some of those. But, but they were making the case that, uh, you know, you can start doing it when, when you get those uh, virtual reality headsets on and you, you, you get into this virtual world where you're not physically by each other, but it certainly feels to them like you're by each other you
0: know i've been fascinated by possibilities that i've not seen a lot of discussion in the media about with the use of virtual reality for something that that may have some impact on human resources in some areas is expansion of human performance i think about my past life as an athlete my current part-time life as a musician and could virtual reality be used to facilitate visualization of enhanced performance like right. see the the peak performance salesperson in a company going through the stages of building rapport and asking the right questions and focusing on the prospect's future and making a sale emergently based on creating a really keen buying environment full of rapport and then see an image of another version of themselves superimposed on that, modeling the behavior, just like an athlete might right. you know, mentally rehearse a particular skill for a sport. But I haven't seen a lot of application of that, at least not discussed in the media yet.
1: No, I I, I haven't either, and that's what I, uh, when I start my discussions with these folks who have these uh, these virtual reality companies is like I. You know, explain this to me because because i I have yet to be sold, but I do understand that that this could very well be the the future of how we're doing things. And you know if, if it can work, it can certainly make make lives more convenient. And as you bring up sports, um, my wife and I have been ballroom dancing for uh, a whole number of years. And uh, you know, just just sort of thinking about well how how could that actually work? Could I get a coaching session? from a top-notch professional who's in New York and I'm in the Washington DC area and we both are, have our headsets on, you know, maybe we can. Maybe, maybe that'll be sort of an exciting thing that we can look forward to in the future.
0: Yeah, or just like, or even like as a guitarist, zooming in and seeing a right. scale lit up as colored dots um, just the way the best guitarist in the world might see it. And, right. And excel- a way of accelerated learning of accelerated yeah. human performance, of tapping into untapped potential. That's the fascinating thing for me, but it seems like, and this is me, more from the outside looking in, I've not engaged that deeply in it, I'm not a gamer myself, but it seems like the VR world so far has borrowed more from gaming than it has from human performance.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's what it seems like. And probably that, that's where the, the revenue is at the moment. Um, and so, it, but, you know, if, if the gaming world is going to be the one that, that pushes the technology and provides the, the dollars to, you know, have something a little bit more substantial to do some real work in, then, you know, great. <laughs> I'm glad somebody's funding it because I'd say that may be the future. Maybe it won't be, but that may be the future. And, uh, you know, there are companies out there that are, that are really thinking about this and, and pushing that envelope.
0: Yeah, and, and um, that's an interesting point, and that's where the revenue is. Uh, I imagine what kind of windfall profits could come from applying it to accelerated learning to shorten the cycle of training service people and salespeople to right. the peak level to take the best service person or salesperson or creative person in an organization and use it to model what they're doing, this distinctive, and apply it to everybody in the right. organization. It just seems like there's so much untapped potential there.
1: Yeah, at least, right, it's potential potential that that has the potential for being big and important in the future. It also has the potential just to be a big waste of time, right? I mean, I could foresee a company going through millions of dollars to develop this virtual reality sales training process, and then at the end of the day, they realize, you know what, they could see this PowerPoint slideshow and, and pretty much get the same results. So uh, there, there's a lot of research to be done, and there's a lot of, a lot of things that we have to figure out, like, like what, is, what is really the productive use of, of the you know, augmented reality and um, that type of thing? Because it probably isn't for everything, and it may not be useful for some things, and it may be terribly useful for other things.
0: So I guess the point is remaining agnostic to it until we find out from research.
1: Yeah, that, that's certainly where where I am, and, and as I say, and talking to these these companies that are already making these big investments, I you know I know they're going to be the the advocates and the evangelists out there, and and, and that's great. That, there 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 is a a place for that, but uh, you know I'll, I'll I'll sort of maybe not wait and see, but I'll I'll see, you know, and I'll I'll sort of you know poke and prod and and experiment a bit to to make sure that this is this is the right use of our time and resources as an organization.
0: Sure, I'm, I'm just thinking of some applications maybe from sports psychology where there could be a biofeedback mechanism in an extended reality thing where a runner could perfectly monitor the heart rate and blood pressure and self-regulate to be at that peak performance level using an augmented reality display that may even train them to no longer need that, but right. more, more quickly access those performance right. states. So this is, this is really interesting. and um, So tell us more about SHRM, the SHRM, and what you do for HR people, because I know we have a lot of HR people in our audience.
1: Yeah, so, so I'm in the, the SHRM Research Institute, so our, our research team has been around for a while, but uh, we're, we're gaining a little bit more uh, independence within SHRM to be... To be following some avenues and and some partnerships uh, that we never used to be able to do and and that's kind of where the the thought leadership uh, within research was born was was when we got a little bit more independence as the sherm research institute one of the things that i've been working on recently is a project that we call uh, better workplaces on a budget And and the notion there is um Lots of companies want to improve the, the lives of their employees and they want to in, increase their retention, but they don't really have the money to spend that it, it feels like uh, they need to spend to address these issues. And so we've been engaging in this, this project to, to see, well, well what are the, the real issues that they need to be dealing with? And then are there things that they can be doing that don't really require spending more money?
0: Interesting. Yeah, and, and certainly we'd like to provide access to those kinds of things, because my understanding of Sherm is you're a resource for HR professionals worldwide. And how many members do you
1: have again? Uh, well over 300,000. So at last count, close to three, 320.
0: So that's that's, a, you know, huge. And right. obviously what you learn can have an impact on workplaces and impact you. Millions of people
1: worldwide, through that, that yeah, that that's how we like to think about it. is like, okay, if we have over three hundred thousand members, that's you know probably at least I don't know two hundred thousand unique organizations, and each of those organizations has you know an average of you know let's say a thousand people. Well, you just you sort of do the math and you go, oh geez, they're, they're you're dealing with millions and millions of of people whose lives you're improving.
0: And to be in a, a position of thought leadership in such a large organization is is quite a responsibility. So kudos for you for taking that on. And when you think that you learn something and then you're in a position where it's your role to not just, to set, like you said, not just put the information out there and move on, but to do what you can so that the information is is packaged and disseminated and promoted in a way that changes minds positively so people actually make
1: use of it yeah yeah that that's right and it's funny recently i was at a a conference with a number of other organizational psychologists and you know a number of them are are professors and as professors they do research um and and talking to them about it you know they'll sort of have their research niche but uh most of them even when they're publishing in the journals that are well known within our field they're really not speaking to the, the HR professionals or, or the ones that could really take the results of the research and, and do something with it. And, and I know that they look at me with, with very jealous eyes because at SHRM, we're, we're kind of in the unique position of, of providing the information to HR professionals that, that they really need. And, and most HR folks are not terribly research savvy, but they love the results of the research. And so how can us... Uh, and the research team provide what they're looking for and what they need in a way that they can understand and they can use and they can, you know, implement and improve the, the lives of their organization. Which
0: which brings up what types of media are suitable to convey this information? What, what have you learned through your role there?
1: Yeah. Uh, a, a few years ago, we did a lot of longer academic-style white papers. And, and that was the first thing I said. I said, no white papers. We're, we're not doing the, these really long reports that, that nobody wants to read. And, and very few people actually have, have sort of the ability to digest it in that way. And so it's, if we're going to have reports, have it be shorter or, or at least you know, more tailored for them. But, but things like infographics, um, you know, just sort of uh, uh, summary tables, uh, shareable resources for, for social. Um, and then, then if you have a, a project that sort of feels like it needs a white paper, it probably feels like it needs a white paper because there are a number of sections. And let's just take those sections and partial them out and then just have, have a number of shorter reports, uh, but, but really pitched at the level that will be understandable to our HR professionals, and and then uh, I know some people love love podcasts, and so uh, you know give them some sort of you know audio version of it. And we've been we've been toying with the ideas of making sure that our reports have an audio component to them. Um, we've also toyed with the idea of uh, you know should we have our own podcast to, just to talk about the the updates in the in the HR research, and so you know all those things we're we're certainly considering because. Um, people don't really have the tolerance for for long form reports, Uh, at least not too many people have that tolerance.
0: Yeah, it does. It seems that way. And I, I wonder how much of that is how these news readers and social media, like I use Flipboard, it's great for organizing stuff. And I find myself sometimes spending more time in curation than I am doing any kind of deep dive into actually going deep enough to learn something other than the evident idea portrayed through the headline. Right. And so I wonder how much we're ending up in a society of skimmers who rarely do a deep dive, but then, like you said, the podcast seems to be the format where people will do a deep dive. They can listen to it while they're sweeping the house or walking dog or, you know, maybe maybe in a motorcycle race. Okay. Maybe not. That'd be dangerous. Uh, But, you know, yeah, right. We'll do that. But there's plenty of situations where somebody Feels okay now. I can really learn deeply about this, and I really like how you're pointing out the need to chunk down complex subjects to the level where people can actually assimilate them. Right. how much you've you've been at this kind of thing for a while? You're new at the thought leadership role, I understand, but you've been an industrial psychologist and dealing with you know, corporate dynamics and workplace dynamics for a while. How, what insight can you offer our listeners for the general trend and how much people are willing to learn and spend time learning something as opposed to just skimming little chunks of topics?
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it, it certainly feels less than it used to be uh, until you get the, the one thing that they care about. And then, then if they have the thing that they care about, then they're willing to invest a whole bunch of time uh, to it. So, um, and, and maybe there's just so much information out there that, that trying to go in depth on everything would just be overwhelming because you can go to Flipboard and just go, I'm going to flip through a whole number of things until I find the one thing, you know, six pages into it that I care about. And that's the one that I, I choose to read the you know thousand words or 5,000 words or, or however long it is. Uh, just because I, I offer it out there doesn't mean... That they're going to be interested in it but when i do offer it out there you know you need to make sure that that the short sort of summary sort of above the fold headline and subheadline is is meaningful and useful because while they may not click on it they might remember it and so give them a, a useful headline give them the the you know the one liner that you really want them to take away put that right there at the top and and again you'll get some people who won't read the whole thing but re- remember that that one sentence that you have
0: that's interesting that that brings up a question of how do you know when an idea you're trying to convey maybe something you've learned through research that isn't commonly known that would make a difference it might challenge old beliefs a little bit so it'll require people to shift their thinking to make full use of it how do you know that it's being adopted how do you know that people are actually engaging in it and learning it or how do you know what media works or what Type of packaging works i mean
1: you don't but uh you you make your best guesses at the beginning and then then you you just sort of see but but also when you're not devoted to the one long form version of things you do buy yourself some more time to to try so so i don't have the 50 pager but i have the infographic and i have a an associated podcast And I have, you know, another sort of short four-pager that that goes along with it. So I made three things that probably didn't take as much time to create as the 50-pager would. And then, you know what, maybe no one finds use in that four-page report. That might be okay. That might be okay. And, and again, you don't really know until until you put it out there. But uh, if you're not wedded to the long form version of it, that's going to take so much more time. You you do have more opportunities to create the the smaller sort of chunkier things.
0: Makes sense. And I, I wonder how much some of the tools from the fields of search engine optimization where you look at a website and you can see that a certain article is getting way more traffic, right? And I used to use heat maps and don't so much anymore because truthfully bots distort that enough. Though it just takes, it can, it can still be useful. It just takes, you know, realizing that there's bot traffic that's distorting it to some degree, but as long as you're doing comparing A to B instead of just taking it as the last word, right. you can see some level of engagement that lets you know that at least it might be ticking people off. But at least they're engaging in it. They may or may not be adopting the idea, but just drawing them
1: in. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and you can you can see that, you know, on, on websites in terms of number of downloads and things. But so often, you know, people are engaging with your content on social. Um, so uh, especially if it's something like an infographic, you know, when they click on it, they're not even going to go back to your web page. They're just going to open and you know the the longer or the, the fuller version of it right there in social. So so you can you can see that you know almost instantaneously just by how many how many likes and shares and and all those things you're getting.
0: Yeah, and I I do recall being surprised sometimes by what got the most engagement in things like Twitter analytics. Yeah, and yeah, it informs you know the next stage you know and you see what's what seems to be resonating with
1: people. Yeah, yeah, and and some of the times the the things that that people share and they go viral, you don't have a good explanation for for why that is, but uh, you just sort of accept it. Okay, yeah, lots of people seem to, to share that and it resonated with them for one reason or another. If I were to bet, I wouldn't have bet on that one. But uh, that's why you put out multiple pieces just because one might work for some sort of unknown reason and then, and then get a lot of traction and a lot of attention.
0: And something I've learned is and when you do that it pays to be careful to keep the amount of content and how it's organized really similar because there are hidden algorithms and what gets in front of more people and things like Twitter. That's why I think of Elon's actually going to buy Twitter, having an open source algorithm. We can all see, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. It's like this thing about, there's this, uh, I find it quite humorous, actually, this viral LinkedIn post generator because they found out that if you just do one sentence with a separated by a few lines and another short sentence and just format it that way, it's way more likely to go viral independent of whether what it says is actually useful or not.
1: I should probably pay more attention to uh, to to those types of things. I know, I know. For us, it's it, it's generally LinkedIn, and it, just from a from a business perspective, it is really where we get the most interaction. But yeah, I don't have much. I don't have much understanding of how how that algorithm uh, works.
0: Well, it just seems to me. I don't, I don't know if anybody really does outside of LinkedIn.
1: Right. Uh, but
0: it just seems to me that these tech giants have a lot of power in in the ideas that catch on and sometimes you have a formula that's hidden that may be counterintuitive to getting the best ideas out there It just seems to be the ones that are formatted in a way that plays off their algorithms
1: right and i'm willing to play their game if 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 i know the rules but uh part of the problem is we don't always know the rules if i need to format it in a different way then fine i'll format it in a different way but tell me how i need to format it and i'll be happy to do it
0: Well, if you want a good laugh, Google viral LinkedIn generator, because it's got a, also has a little slider that you can set the degree of cringe for it. (laughs) And if you crank that up, it generates some pretty humorous language. I think a LinkedIn specializing marketing agency came up with that. Good example of a viral tool. You know, sometimes these online surveys and the widgets and tools catch on and they they convey something, you know? So... What's your vision for the future of HR? And we talked a little bit about that. Where do you see SHRM going? And where do you see HR going in general?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of SHRM, it, it, people think of us as, you know, the, the society, the, the professional association that HR people are a part of. Um, but we're getting some, some traction outside of, of core HR and and you know getting to interact more with, with folks at the executive level who who in the past um, didn't have as much uh, to do with, with us at Sherm, but also uh, people managers and and other people that are maybe related to HR but not actually in HR. And then um, in terms of the field and and where things are going there, it's Maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, going back to you know 70s and 80s, you were looking at HR as primarily uh, compliance, making sure the company doesn't get sued, and administrative, and uh, you know there were a lot of sort of union things that most HRs had to deal with, and and over time that shifted, and yeah, so maybe 20 years ago there was we're trying to get more strategic in nature, and there were complaints about not getting a seat at the table. Um, HR is being represented, I think, in most organizations when when major decisions are being made. So we have the seat at the table now. Uh, And and so now HR really isn't about uh, legal compliance. There's still that, but that's not the focus anymore. And it's not administrative. It's being part of the strategic process, having an understanding of the business, and really taking responsibility for the engagement, retention, and the general employee experience, and, and making right. sure that that's positive. The the time when organizations could just pay reasonably well, and that would be enough to to keep their their good people, uh, that that time has probably passed. Organizations need to be sure that they're they're treating their people well, and they're not overworking them. They're they're making sure that that they're giving them you know like a positive reason to show up and a vision for their future in the organization. And and that's really, I think, where HR is gonna be focused uh, moving forward is that uh, employee experience, employee engagement, employee retention, those are the things. And, and those are gonna be really important for, for companies to, to track.
0: And isn't it likely to be true in a competitive environment is that it can be a strategic advantage to provide a great place for your people.
1: Yeah. And, yeah.
0: And to really care about their experience.
1: Yeah. And like a, a legitimate great place for uh, employees. I, I think back to uh, the dot com boom. And I was in grad school and I, I was working a bit with Monster.com. And I, I got to see, you know, like the headquarters of Monster. And there were all these like stuffed animals and foosball tables and, and all the snacks you could eat. And, and on the face of it, it looked like a good place to, uh, to work once you dug in, you know, those things were provided to, to keep people there in the, in the office location and keep them working hard and keep them working long. And, and so that, that was sort of the veneer of a good place to work, but under the surface, it was really, it really wasn't that good of a place to, to work. You know, I, I think we're beyond that kind of surface level uh, way of, of looking at the employee experience and getting at, at something a little bit more substantial.
0: And it seems like a, it may be part of Sherm's thought leadership position in general is aligning about aligning the employee experience with successful companies.
1: Yeah. Part, yeah.
0: Being a successful company is to care about the employee experience. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, and part of that is uh, the the power really seems to be in the hands of the employees now, not, in the hands of of the organizations, and that may shift uh, to some extent if, if we do, you know, fall into some uh, broader economic hard times. But I still think even when we come out of that, uh, the employees are going to have more power than they ever had before. You know, not to demand like an, a union would demand uh, certain things, but you know, if you don't like it, they'll just leave, and and so just forcing companies. To, to change, not heavy-handedly, but otherwise they're just going to lose all their good people.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the cost of recruiting and training and hiring is immense. Yeah. It seems it's yeah. just, just wise for anyone taking a view beyond this quarter at all <laughs> to take care of your people as best you can. And you would mentioned, um, and, and to wrap up with a couple things, uh, a new project coming up, and what what can we share with our listeners? And I'm going to put links on the podcast episode page at thoughtleadershipstudio.com. So if you're listening there, just scroll down. If you're listening on an app, there's a link in the description. Um, tell us about the project and any other coordinates that we should share with our readers so they can tap more deeply into what you have to offer.
1: Yeah. And, and I mentioned this a, a little while ago, just, just briefly, but our, our new project is uh, Better Workplaces on a Budget. And And that's helping organizations think through uh, how they can improve the experience of their employees and improve retention without being forced to spend a lot more money. And, and going into the project, it, it, well, it really came from complaints that I I would hear from, from lots of people, not really HR people, but business owners that, you know what, I would like to uh, improve the lives of my team. I just don't have the money. And, uh, my HR, when I tell them that, they just sort of look at me as like, well, then you're stuck. Are we stuck or not? And, and so I, I embarked on, on this with uh, other folks on, on the team uh, to make sure that uh, we talked with a lot of uh, seasoned HR professionals and really engaged with them on a, on a deeper level of are there things that we can do to improve the lives of employees without spending a lot more money and i'm happy to say yeah there are are lots of lots of good things that that we can suggest and uh it's all documented in a in a couple of reports uh that we have coming out and again it's better workplaces on a budget we we did a large-scale survey and the results there are are really interesting but then we have our recommendations report and uh and i think uh hr professionals and and managers and business leaders will also find that interesting and hopefully uh, helpful as they, as they change their organizations. And, and you know, with these economic times I wouldn't be surprised if most places don't have money to spend. Uh, but just because you don't have money to spend doesn't mean that, that you're out of luck. Uh, there are lots of good things that you can do. And, and again, we've, we've done our best to, to document them all in this report.
0: Well, that sounds very empowering. It looks like great news for, for people trying to enhance experience in a time when they might feel constrained when they're really not yeah but um this has been a great i think you've offered a lot of really powerful insights both on the level of implementing thought leadership in general and about the specific things that you're doing with sherm to enhance um employee relationships and creating a better workplace for people
1: thanks for having me chris i uh i appreciated the the time spent and, and the fact that uh, you know we can get the message about about Sherm and the Sherm Research Institute out to all your listeners.
0: Fantastic. Well, I hope you found the interview with Dr. Smith interesting and helpful. And the perspective to keep is that whether you're an entrepreneur, salesperson, business leader, solopreneur, or influencer or whether like Dr. Smith, you actually have a formal role of bringing thought leadership to an organization because an organization like SHRM is enlightened enough to realize the power of strategic market influence. Whatever your role is, the key is to harvest your unique thinking and package it effectively for market influence and then output it for impact so if you're listening to this on an app you want to check out the episode page it's got some resources that will help you do that including the marketer's guide to strategic thought leadership that will help you organize the building blocks of your own strategic thought leadership. It's a free report, free download, PDF, it's a fairly quick read, and it will give you some insight into getting more leverage out of every single thing that you do for strategic influence. Also, I'm currently offering a 30-minute brainstorming or introductory discovery session to personally help you with your own strategic thought leadership, and whatever you're working on, whether that's in a marketing role, whether that's in a leadership role, or whatever it is you're doing to rally an audience, to build an audience, to have positive impact over that audience, to get them more engaged, and to lead them somewhere new and distinctive that's coming purely from you. Love to find out what you're working on and help you do it better. So there's a link on there to sign up for the 30-minute discovery session. We'd love to learn more about what you're doing. So just check it out on thoughtleadershipstudio.com on the episode page, which is linked to in the episode description. And make sure you subscribe if you have not already. would love to get a review from you. Thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm Chris McNeil, your host, and look forward to seeing you.
1: Thought Leadership
0: Studio.